0: You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. There's a lot of talk about how important customer experience is in today's competitive landscape, but getting leaders, employees, and stakeholders all aligned to make it happen is still not a simple task. Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to create great customer experience. And to help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome John Pico founder of Watermark Consulting and author of the book, From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg, good to be here with you. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this topic with you. Uh, Why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself and what you're currently doing?
1: Sure. So as you said, I'm the founder and principal of Watermark Consulting, uh, which is a customer experience advisory firm that essentially helps companies to uh, impress their customers and inspire their employees. Before I launched Watermark in 2009, I spent about 15 years in senior executive roles at Fortune 100 companies at various points leading uh, sales divisions, marketing, service, distribution, even IT. And it was actually that experience that got me thinking that it would be useful to have that background in a customer experience consultancy, because as I'm sure you know, uh, you know you've know you seen in your experience, where many companies go wrong is they don't realize that all of those functional silos are working at cross purposes and not really aligned around the customer experience. So having walked in the shoes of all of those functional leaders, uh, I thought equipped me with a unique perspective to uh, to bring to the market. And in terms of what I'm doing these days, other than speaking with you right now, um, half mm-hmm. my time is spent uh, on speaking engagements, and half on hands-on consulting.
0: Great, great, yeah, definitely. I think that that hands-on experience definitely uh, helps inform inform the work, and and certainly your your writing and, and and everything like that. So let's actually start by talking about your book. So the opening, opening line of your new book, uh, From Impressed to Obsessed, um, says this, if you're as- aspiring to satisfy your customers, then you are aspiring to mediocrity. It seems to contradict a, a fundamental business tenet with, with which we're all familiar, namely that customer satisfaction is key. So
1: why should we all rethink that? You should rethink that because customer satisfaction is a one-way ticket to the business graveyard, truthfully. Study after study has shown that satisfied customers defect all the time they just leave so if you're trying to derive competitive advantage from the customer experience you deliver uh, i would argue it's not enough to merely satisfy your customers you need to impress them you need to leave an indelible impression in their minds that's going to cultivate the repurchase and referral behavior that's really the lifeblood of any thriving business
0: yeah yeah that's that's a, that's a great distinction there and so, you know, there are a lot of customer experience books out there. And, uh, you know, I've, I've contributed a couple to the, the, the canon, <laughs> We're so both to speak, guilty myself. to the volume. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, you know, what, what compelled you to write, write the book, uh, you know, with, with all that out there? What, what did you want to say um, specifically with this book?
1: Yeah, so the, the 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 trigger for me of writing the book, um, you know, it's actually related just to why I even got into this business of customer experience in the first place, and it was really just around sort of a long-standing discomfort with how businesses treat both customers and employees. You know, I find businesses subject customers and employees to all sorts of incivilities. Poor experiences abound. Uh, be it long waits, unhelpful staff, uh, hidden fees in the employee arena, haphazard onboarding, mercurial bosses, bureaucratic processes, archaic systems. I mean, all of these things that just make the experience awful for the people that are interacting with these firms. And And what I always saw is that there were a lot of simple, straightforward, often no-cost things that organizations could do to fundamentally improve the quality of the experience that they deliver to people, uh, their stakeholders, customers, employees, distributors, or others. And, uh, and and that was really the trigger for me to, to write the book because I wanted to get those ideas on, on the page. But the other thing I would say that motivated me to write the book, and, and what I would say I would hope separates it from others in its genre, is I was hoping to help organizations avoid the paralysis That they often experience when trying to evaluate their brand experiences relative to a myriad of personas. Um, You know, when companies sit down and try to figure out how do we engineer a better experience for our customers or employees, there's a lot of time that's spent thinking about the types of constituencies they serve individual consumers, small businesses, large enterprises, distributors. And what I always saw in my study of companies that do this well is that while Personas are valuable. They're actually a universal set of principles that can be used to elevate the experience for any type of customer that you serve, be it internal or external, individual or institution, employee or employee can employment candidate. And so that was the other motivation for writing the book was to really crystallize those principles that are just universal in their application and allow organizations to immediately take action without having to worry about, well, you know, what kind of constituency are we serving here? What's the demographic? And so that was really the other thing that I would say sets the book apart.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, working, uh, I'm, I'm, I know you do as well, you know, working with a lot of particularly large organizations, it's, you you do get into this paralysis of, well, okay, let's make sure we do all our homework and hyper-personalize and, and do all this stuff. And it, it does get to this point of, there are universal truths, right? I think you're saying, right. you're saying that it's like employees don't like to go to 20 interviews before they find out if they get a job or not, you know, customers don't like to wait. Um, they like to use the platform. They like to, you know, so yeah, those, those universal truths are things that, yeah, there's, there's probably some small things. And I know we're going to talk about some of this in a minute too. There's probably some small things that can just be done that don't take committees and phased projects and, and all of those kinds of things. Is that is that kind of what you're saying as
1: well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that uh the the wheels of progress just kind of grind to a halt in many organizations because they just become so consumed with, as you say, you know, making sure that that they've got sort of all their ducks in a row and they're doing a whole bunch of research and whatnot, and they're trying to distinguish all the different flavors of customers that they serve and engineer experiences that are tailored to them. And I'm not saying that that's a bad idea or that it's not valuable, but there's just so much that can be achieved and so many advances that can be gained just by focusing on these fundamental principles. I, I would almost, you know. Uh, I would draw the parallel to just fundamentals, fundamental laws of physics. You know, these are like the laws of physics for customer and employee experience, uh, and that's really what I sought to get out there in the book.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, yeah, let's let's dive in a little deeper here and talk about customer experience and and what it takes to to really do it well. So. You know one thing I know early on, I come from a marketing background and so maybe a little late to the game with with customer experience, even even though I've been doing it for for several years now. but are our organizations still getting confused between customer experience and customer service and and what do you think the disconnect
1: is? Yeah, I think they are getting confused by it. I think that many organizations use those terms uh, you know interchangeably which I think uh, is really a problem and indicates that their their orientation isn't really uh, in the right place. People confuse the terms customer experience, customer service, user experience, and they've even melded the terms. So now people talk about customer service experience. What I would tell your listeners, the, the important thing to understand about the distinction between customer experience and customer service is that customer service is really but one component of the end-to-end customer experience. And the reason it's so important for organizations to appreciate that is because when people talk about customer service, their head goes to a certain place. You know, they think about a live interaction with a live rep over the phone or over chat, or maybe at point of sale in a retail store, maybe they'd consider that customer service. But there are a whole host of interactions that don't fall into that bucket. If I'm buying something online, does that fit into the customer service bucket? Uh, if I'm reading an account statement that I got in the mail, does that qualify as customer service? I would argue no, that that you know most business people wouldn't characterize it that way. Yet those are interactions that are important parts of the experience for for a mm-hmm. customer. And so the idea of thinking broadly about all of the live print and digital interaction points that your sales prospects or your customers could possibly stumble across, as they work with your business, that's really the broader purview that you need to keep in mind when you're trying to engineer a great end-to-end experience. The other thing I would also add that makes the distinction important is that the mere need for customer service in many industries implies that there is a problem with the broader customer experience. Right. Because if I have to reach out to, to a business that I've patronized and I've got a question, it's quite likely that that question would be made unnecessary if the organization had done something different upstream earlier in the experience, before I even got to the customer service touch point. Maybe it was poor expectation setting at the point of sale. Maybe it was incomprehensible product assembly instructions. Maybe it was a billing statement that made no sense. You miss all of these opportunities to make the need for customer service go away if you don't think broadly about the end-to-end experience. And so that's why I think it's really important to make that distinction.
0: Before we continue, let's take a quick break. If you're like many marketing leaders today, you're inundated with a need to improve the customer experience across an increasing number of channels and touch points, all while ensuring your team is performing well, innovating, and continuously improving. So how do you find the time to determine what's next for you, your team, your brand, and your customers? My company, GK5A, can help. Whether it is advisory services, evaluation of marketing technology platforms and solutions, or digital agencies and implementation partners, or assistance with creating strategic roadmaps and prioritization of efforts, we've done it all and served as an ally to Fortune 1000 brands and industries like financial services, healthcare, consumer electronics, professional services, and more. You can learn more about these services and contact us at www.gk5a. That's www.gk5a.com. Now let's get back to the show. And so, you know, I think at this point in time, you know, here we are mid-2023, mid, mid 2023, I think most executives are, are bought into the premise that good customer experience is Good, Right. So uh, they've read the stats. They've, you know, certainly, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of questions about it, but you know, why is it still so hard to build a business case for making investments here? You know, what's, what's standing in the way of, of doing that?
1: What I would say is, you know, have, have they really all bought into the idea that a good customer experience is better for business? I think that in many circles, people, they say the right things and they talk the talk, but do they walk the talk? Perhaps not. And and the reason I say that is because I think that there has long been a deep-seated skepticism in the executive suite and among boards of directors about the ROI of customer experience. I think that, you know, what they don't say publicly is that there's a concern that the returns are soft or fluffy. Because they wonder, you know, how do I really know that my investments in a better customer experience are paying off? Are you going to tell me it's because I'm going to have higher revenues? Well, you know, that could be triggered by lots of other things, lots of other variables, a new marketing campaign, an expanded sales force, lower pricing. So I think that when when executives sort of you know, say that they believe that that customer experience is important, what is left unsaid is that they just ha- harbor this skepticism of well, how do you actually ever prove it? Because there are so many other things that could be driving the benefits that that you, the customer experience professional, are purporting to uh, to come as a, as a consequence of a better experience. And so that's why I think it's hard to build a business case for it is because these are executives or people that they speak in the language of of numbers and they like to quantify things and they feel as though it is difficult to quantify the ROI of customer experience. and I would dispute that, but I think that's what many of them feel.
0: Yeah, so then you know follow follow up to that is you know how would you convince the skeptics that there's tangible ROI in, in CX and CX improvements?
1: Right. yeah. so you know I'll go back to when I launched my firm uh, back in 2009, and even before I launched my own consultancy, uh, you know, when I was working in the corporate world, this was something that always bothered me. I would see that executives and boards of directors would routinely take the leap of faith on initiatives that were arguably, you know, arguably, had a uh, an uncertain outcome, an uncertain ROI. Whether it's a, a big merger an acquisition, whether it's the hiring of a mil- you know, multi-million dollar celebrity CEO, but they did it because somewhere in their heart they believed, yeah, we were going to get the return and. Um, When I launched my firm in 2009, I had to figure out how do you get people to see that these returns are not soft and fluffy? How do you get them to take the leap of faith as they are with some of those other types of initiatives? And what dawned on me is that you got to speak to people in the language that they understand. And these executives and the boards of directors, what they really understand is the language of shareholder value. You know, Whether you're a public or a private entity, you're really all about growing business value for your investors. And so the idea dawned on me, I remember very vividly, it was Christmas time in 2009. And I said to myself, you know, I wonder if you look at the companies that excel in customer experience and compare their shareholder returns to those that lag in customer experience, what would that analysis look like? And that was the genesis of what is called the Watermark Consulting Customer Experience ROI Study. Uh, it's a study that we update every few years, and it was actually the first study that showed a connection between the quality of a company's customer experience and the shareholder returns. Um, and the latest uh, iteration of the study has 13 years of data in it, and it shows that the companies that lead in customer experience outperform that those, that those that lag by an over three to one ratio. And to me, that's the exclamation point on the case for customer experience at a macroeconomic level. And when you share that with executives, I think that it opens their eyes a bit. And I'm not saying they'll write a blank check for you, but I think it starts to get them to see that these returns from customer experience are not soft and intangible. They're actually very hard and they are quantifiable. And then if you want to look specifically within your business, what I would tell you is, you wonder well where where does the increase in revenue come? You know, is it from the new marketing campaign or the expanded sales force? Well, you know what? Start tracking where you're getting your business from. And when you start to see how many how much of your business is coming from referrals from existing customers, that's an indication of how your customer experience is driving revenue. In addition, you could look at the expense side of the equation and you could quantify things like how many calls do you get per order? Or what is the difference in the lifetime value between the customers that love you versus the those that despise you, the promoters versus the detractors? These are all proven ways to quantify at a company level, the return that you are getting on delivering that great customer experience. And you know, these are things it takes a little time to uh, you know to do those calculations and to, and to compile that data, but you can absolutely put your finger on what is the value of customer experience, not just to the business arena as a whole, but to your company specifically.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. And great that you're you've you've put that that data together in, in a report and and have the you know, that many years of, of data as well. That's, that's great stuff. You know, one of the things that's top of mind to me and that I do a lot of work on is, you know, multi-channel or omni-channel CX and and marketing and and things related. And this is certainly a a challenge for a lot of organizations. You know, I've seen statistics where, you know, 15, 20 years ago, a, a consumer might use, maybe two or three channels during the buying process alone now they're using five or six if not more and that's only just during the buying process not through the the entire customer journey can you talk about some of the challenges that many organizations are facing here and you know how do you how do you recommend that an enterprise find ways to get a good omni-channel customer experience whatever good might mean it may mean different Different things for different orgs, or is omnichannel even the right goal? You know what what, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts here?
1: Yeah, so the you know the notion of omnichannel that actually hits on on a number of the of the twelve principles that I cover in the book, you know, things like you want to make it effortless for your customers and 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 you want to personalize the experience. If there are multiple avenues through which they can engage with your business, you want to make sure that it's easy for them to skate between those avenues. You want to make sure that when they move from one avenue to another, that information is carried with them so that the experience continues to feel personalized and that things aren't forgotten and they don't need to repeat themselves investing more effort in telling their story over and over again. I think that often the biggest impediment in organizations is is simply the technology that allows them to capture that information and to share it with the right people and, and the right systems within the organization to create that kind of seamless omni-channel experience. And there's obviously a lot more to do in that regard. And, and companies, they have a lot of trouble with this. You know, uh, We've all had that experience where you provide your account number whether it's you know online or over the phone and then you know eventually you get routed to a live rep and what's the first thing that they ask you right. what's your account number it is absolutely infuriating and we've been at this for years decades right, right. and you know companies still haven't gotten it right and, it, and it's unfortunate and it just you have to pay attention to it and you have to make sure that the data is being collected in a way so that it can be easily shared across other platforms But going back to your question, which I think is a really critical one, should the goal be omnichannel? I don't think the goal should be omnichannel. I think the goal should be right channel. And here's what I mean by that. You want to give the customer choice in the avenues that they have to engage with you. However, it's advisable to nudge them towards the avenue that is probably best suited for their situation. So what I mean by that is, You can gather some information from the customer to understand what is the the assistance that they require. And if it's a simple issue, then you might direct them, might nudge them towards a chat bot or a live chat with a representative. But if it's a complex issue, you might point them towards telephone support. And the reason I think that is valuable, that approach, is because you don't want a customer that has a complex issue, for example, to decide to use a chat bot and then get disappointed and then have to invest yeah. more effort in switching channels and retelling their story and whatnot. So I, I find that companies that that actually gather some, some initial triage information, give the customer a choice of avenues, but suggest to them the one that we think is best for you based on what you've told us, I think that's a better experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so you... Touch on this a little bit uh, at the very beginning of the show. Um, I wanted to get back to customer and employee experience and, and kind of that relationship. How do you
1: how do you look at it? How how do you describe that that relationship? So I, I would put the the relationship between customer and employee experience is really this: happy, engaged employees help create happy, loyal customers who, in turn, help create more happy, engaged employees. It is a virtuous cycle that feeds on itself. And once you get that flywheel spinning, you can pretty much roll over your competitors and write your own ticket. And so the two are inextricably linked, they are two sides of the same coin. You can't, over the long term, expect to have a great differentiated customer experience if you don't have employees who are equipped and inspired to deliver that experience. But the other thing I would also point out is that there are many parallels between what it takes to create a great customer experience and what it takes to create a great employee experience. Indeed, if you think about it, what it takes to foster engagement between a customer and a company is not all that different than what it takes to foster engagement between an employee and a leader. Things like, are you responsive to me? Do you communicate clearly and transparently with me? Are you genuinely advocating for my interests? Do you make it effortless for me to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish? Do I feel better after I've interacted with you as compared to before? And because there are so many parallels, the fact of the matter is the very same principles, those laws of physics we talked about earlier, that you can apply to create a great customer experience can also be employed to create a great employee experience. And so that's the other connection I would say between the two is the idea that the very same muscles that you flex... To engage and build loyalty with customers can also be used to engage and build loyalty with employees.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, what should what should leader? You know, there's there's a lot of leaders listening to this as well as aspiring leaders. Um, what should they do to to get this either get it started? Um, you know, kind of accelerated or 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 just um, you know start moving ahead in, in this direction. I completely agree with what you're saying here.
1: Yeah, I think a great first step to get that flywheel spinning is to simply enlist your employees in the customer experience improvement effort, particularly your frontline staff who are arguably most knowledgeable about what your customers like and dislike. Um, Engage those employees in a dialogue, solicit their ideas for improvement. How can we make it better for our customers? How can we we remove obstacles that you face when you're trying to serve a customer? And then, of course, start acting on on what you learn and the ideas you compile. The reason I point to that is because with that single act, that is actually going to simultaneously enhance both the customer experience and the employee experience. Because employees are going to feel like more of a strategic partner in the business, not just a cog in the wheel. And so that's going to move the needle on employee experience, giving them a greater sense of purpose. But then by capitalizing on the ideas that they share with you, you're also going to be moving the needle on customer experience quality. So with that one act of enlisting frontline employees in the improvement exercise, you can actually elevate the experience of both of those two key constituencies that are instrumental in the success of your business. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Well, John, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. I've got one last question before we wrap up here. So as a fellow author, I always like to ask about a little bit about the process of writing. So, you know, in, in writing your your most recent book, from impressed to obsessed, what did you learn through the writing process? And you know, what might you do differently in writing a
1: follow up? I, I think what was surprising to me is I learned how much I didn't know. You know, when I sought to write this book about my twelve principles, I mean, I know the twelve principles like the back of my hand. But was re- What was really eye opening and energizing to me is as I did more and more research. I just came up with all kinds of examples in the marketplace that I was seeing of how these principles were really being applied by organizations, even though they might not have realized it. And so while I thought that I was you know, an expert and knew all these examples, that was really enlightening and eye-opening for me. And in terms of what I would do differently, uh, it would be figuring out how to carve out time to write a book. Even when there is not a global pandemic induced lockdown. Because I had this book banging around inside my head for literally a decade, but just had difficulty carving out the time to write it along with running my business. And it was just when COVID lockdowns came that, you know, then I found the time nine months straight to just focus on writing it. So uh, if I write another book, that'll be the challenge is how to do it without, uh, another pandemic being required to, um, uh, to give me the time to actually write it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And, uh, definitely, um, you know, one of the things I love about writing which you touched on is I, I learned so much. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. as much as you think, you know, it's right. doing that extra level of, of research or even more recent research or stuff like that. I, that's one of the reasons I lo- I love writing so much. So yeah, agreed. Again, I'd like to thank John Pico, founder of Watermark Consulting and author of the book From Impressed to Obsessed, 12 Principles for Turning Customers and Employees into Lifelong Fans for Joining the Show. You can learn more about John and Watermark Consulting by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website, or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation,